Well, good morning, fellowship. Welcome to church this morning. Would you stand and celebrate with us?
Hello, my name is Matt Archer and I work with our family ministry here at Fellowship and we are so excited to open Fellowship Sunday morning services. And we have a few guidelines that we want you to be aware of as we reopen. Our goal is to create a safe and clean environment for your child. That means we're gonna be practicing social distancing as much as possible and for most age groups, they'll be wearing masks. Also, we're asking that one parent or guardian come for pickup and drop off in order for us to limit the number of people in an area and we'll be disinfecting all hard services in between services. The second thing we're asking is for you to please make reservations for Sunday morning for the adult services. Those really help us as we're planning how many kids might possibly be there on a Sunday. In order for us to maximize space and serve as many families as possible, a lot of our room and theater locations have changed for each age group. And so please verify where your child's location is gonna be. And you can do that on the website. We'll have a map available for you there. We'll also have maps available in the foyer on Sunday mornings, and we'll have volunteers in each area to help you get where you need to be on top of all of this, On top of all of this, we're also launching a new check-in system. We're asking for you to please arrive just a little bit early and be patient with us if we, as we transition to this new system. Guys, we are so excited to partner with you in helping the next generation know and follow Jesus. Isn't it good to be here? The sun's shining, spring is coming, the numbers continue to go down. We're so excited to have you here worshiping with us this morning. And if you're visiting, or this is your first time, or your first time in a while, we want to say a special welcome to you, and we'd love the opportunity to connect with you. And we can do that in one of two ways. First way is you can zoom in on the QR code, and that will take you to fellowshiprogers.org forward slash news. And everything we talk about, everything that's going on is at that location. And if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see a link that takes you to a place that says, I'm new, and you can fill out some information, and we'll follow up with you. Or you just, if you're here in person, you can stop by the booth in the center of the foyer, and we would love to connect with you. We'd love to answer any questions you have. We would love to get you involved in a small group if that interests you. And if you're tuning in online, you're joining us online, we're so glad you're with us as well. You can do the same thing. You can just zoom in on that QR code or go to fellowshiprogers.org forward slash news. Hey, if you're real quiet, if you listen really close, you can hear something. Just a couple rooms over, it's the sound of children worshiping the Lord in their own native tongue. Does that sound good? Yes. For a long time now, our children's ministry and early childhood ministry have not been meeting, but they're back together, and we're so excited about that. We know many of you are serving, and we say thank you for serving. You can still sign up to serve at the children's booth in the foyer, and so if that interests you, um, please do that. A couple things you need to know. First of all, we need you to register every Sunday that you're here in person. Um, We need you to register so we can manage the numbers well. But you only need to register the people sitting in this room. So, for example, if you're a family of four, two of you are in here and two of you, two of your children are sixth grade and below, you don't need to register them. Sam, Sam's got an adding machine in the back. He somehow figures it out. And so just, but just register the people sitting in this room. Register each Sunday for the, 930, or for the service that you're coming to. 
Also, if you have junior high, senior high kids, so seventh grade and above, you will also need to register them too for the student services. But we're so excited. Things seem to be opening back up. We're excited that you're back and we're, we're very excited to have you here. Hey, you may be wondering why I'm holding this. For those of you uh, viewing online or maybe sitting in the back, this is an offering plate. Our ancestors used to pass these along the aisles to collect the, no, I'm just kidding. We've passed, it's actually been a year since we've passed one of these. Can you believe that? A year? But I brought it up here this morning because for me, it's always a great reminder whenever I held this plate and passed it along, whether you give physically you know, into the plate or online or whatever, it's a good reminder that, that giving is worship. And so I brought it up here today because I needed to be reminded uh, to give. And I wanted to remind you to give. And it's a little bit different these days. Matter of fact, I wanted to remind you, a couple reasons to remind you to give, but also I wanted to remind you that we've actually fallen behind budget on our giving. And we know it's been tough to give because we haven't been passing the plate, but you can, you can actually give online, fellowshiprogers.org forward slash give, or you can stop as you leave today, as you exit the doors, there's actually a slot outside um, between the doors or in the back two middle entrance exits um, above the, uh, the water fountain. There's a place you can drop off your, your tithe, your offering. But I invite you, just join us. Fellowship, you've always been so incredibly generous to give when we've asked and we're asking right now. And we're asking for a couple reasons. First of all, um, as things begin to open back up, our expenses are gonna rise. And so we need you to be a part. We're also in our planning season for next year. And so our, our planning for next year starts now and our budgeting for next year starts now. And so we budget off of this year's giving. And so we just invite you to, to join and, and, and let's worship the Lord through what we give. And matter of fact, I wanna just continue our worship this morning. Would you join me as I pray over our offering and our service? Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful that we get to do this. We're grateful for the facilities. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the song we get to sing. Um, Lord, I pray just for our time together, um, whether worshiping online, whether worshiping here in person, that, Lord, we bring these offerings to you as worship. And, Lord, we trust you. Lord, you've provided so well for us. And, Lord, we know there are lots of people struggling through the pandemic still. We pray for them. We know there's been loss. We know there's been struggle. And Lord, we pray right now that you would minister to them. Lord, you would speak to us through your word. You would speak to us during this time. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us again? Let's make this our prayer this morning. Oh God, would you be our vision? Would you be our wisdom?
continue in an attitude of prayer that God would be our vision that he would give us wisdom to face the trials of this world we come into this place with anxieties fears and doubts so pray to him take this moment to rest in his presence we sing God I look to you I won't be over. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. in Psalm 73 this morning. I believe it is true that God is near.
stand with me today for the reading of God's word to us. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. 
the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we know that your word communicates your mind and your heart to us. And so as a result, you are telling us more of yourself. And when you reveal yourself, you're inviting us into relationship. And so we say thank you. We thank you for the grace of Jesus who makes relationship possible. But we thank you for the grace of your word as well which enables us to grow and deepen and walk with you. So we're listening. Please speak this morning. And all your people say, amen. Well, good morning, and it's good to see you here. And if you're joining us uh, live stream, you have been faithful all year for doing so. Thanks for joining in even uh, where you are with your family or at home watching. It's good to see you this morning. My wife Lisa and I knew and loved two older men who both died in the same year. Uh, Both of them were in their mid-80s. Both of them, oddly enough, had the same health issues that they battled at the end. Both of them were Christians, but they finished life very differently. One of them kept his eyes on Jesus and on other people. The focus was up and out, even to the end. The other one, not so much. You know what? I learned from both of them. I remember watching them in their last years of finishing life and saying to my men's group on a Thursday morning early, that one of the key lessons I'm walking away with is you never finish life better than the way you lived it. The way you live it is your trajectory and it always ends up in the direction that it's pointed. Well, here we are in this section of the book of Joshua that's known as the allotment chapters. It's chapters 13 through 19. Now, if you are reading through the book of Joshua with us, You will now be entering these chapters this week and you will find this reading a little bit tedious at best. In fact, on your most honest mornings, you're gonna say, you know, this is beyond tedious. This might just be boring. Because this is the section, the six chapters that talk to the nation of Israel about what their allotment, their inheritance is as they enter and settle the the, uh, promised land. You know who, though, is never, ever bored in reading these chapters? Those who are receiving the inheritance. Yeah, sitting down and reading a will is boring stuff, unless you happen to be listed in it. Then it's the best reading you've done all day. And that's where we find Caleb's story in Joshua chapter 14. Pick it up at six, where Clint read for us this morning. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But but my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. Now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I'm 85 years old. 
Caleb is clearly an old man. In fact, he's one of only two old men in the entire nation of Israel. And one old man goes to the other old man and they talk about the past. Some things never change, do they? Every Thursday morning, I'm with my men's group at Wesner's, filled with old men retelling the same stories from last Thursday. But don't begrudge older men from telling stories of the past. In fact, lean in on those repeated stories because that's where the pearls of wisdom drop out. Here we see Caleb, first of all, as the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. That means Caleb is not an Israelite by blood. Uh, his father was a, a Kenizzite, Jephunneh. We don't know how he intersected with the tribe or with the people of Israel, but somehow in his past he did. The Kenizzites were Edomites by blood, which means they were descendants from Esau, not Jacob, uh, who becomes Israel. Somehow his story intersects and he takes Israel's God to be his God and Caleb grows up in an immigrant family. And his leadership rises in the tribe of Judah because it moves him even to a place of this defining moment, this old story he's talking about. He's talking about a defining moment, not only in his life, but in all of the people of Israel's lives, where when he was 40 years old, he was chosen to be one representative of his tribe to spy out the promised land as the nation of Israel had their first opportunity to enter it. 12 Spies go in, 12 spies come out. They all say the same thing. The land is exceedingly good. But that's where the similarities stop because then there's a minority report and a majority report. The majority report says, we can't take the land. The people are too numerous. The cities are too fortified. And besides, there's these descendants of Anakim there, a people, a race who's, well, they said it this way, who are like giants to us and we're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. But Caleb and Joshua gave a minority report and they said, no, that might be true. They're there and they're large. But we have to go in because number one, God commanded us and number two, he promised to give it to us. The people went with the majority report. And God wandered them around the wilderness for four decades until they died off. Now we see Caleb back at the same place. And I notice here that he talks to Joshua and he recounts his age. Did that strike you? I was 40 at the defining moment. 45 years have passed since then. So 40 years of wilderness wandering and five years of conquest. And now he says, I'm 85 years old. So I was actually going to title this message, Finishing Well, because I think Caleb finishes well. But knowing how Caleb continues to document his age at every stage of his life, I think it's better titled, Aging Well. Because Caleb only finished well because he lived well. And he only lived well because he aged well. And I don't care how old you are in this room right now or online, there is something that every age can learn from. We have four adult generations living at Fellowship Bible Church from age 19 to their 90s. And there's something in the way Caleb aged well 
that every one of us needs to see. The first thing we see with Caleb is found in verse six, tied to verse nine, and there he's able to see something about his past. He says, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. He goes back to a past promise. Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you have followed the Lord, my God. And I think the secret to aging well is good vision. Maybe not good eyesight, but good vision. And clearly we see here that Caleb's vision is set on the promises of God. He knows those promises can be trusted today just like they were given 45 years earlier. Why can he hold on to a promise that's that long ago? Because he trusts the character of God. Yeah, I don't know what you were doing 45 years ago, but God was doing the same thing he was doing, making and keeping promises. And Caleb knew that. So 45 years later, he's holding that promise as freshly as if it was given him that day. And not only does he see the promises of God, he matches that to the, the providence of God. And when we talk about providence of God, we, we're talking about God's sovereign leadership over all of the events of life. He knows that he was not a victim of circumstance or happenstance. He knows that God had been working out his will and therefore making promises in line with that will. And those will line up exactly as God said they would. We see a man who continues to follow the promises and the providence of God. I think as a young man, I'm trying to picture Caleb at 40. As a young man, the text tells us it, it caused him to follow God wholly or wholeheartedly. Doesn't that make sense? The strength of God's promise and your vision of his providence will actually make your heart whole and your ability to follow God. And so he says here, you know, I followed Yahweh wholeheartedly. Folks, he's not bragging on himself. Don't you see all he's doing in the text there is quoting what Moses said about him. So the word on the street about Caleb that other people said of his life at age 40 was that he was a wholehearted follower of Yahweh. But the promises and the providence of God also do something for him as an old man. They fill him with gratitude and contentment. Those are beautiful and rare qualities for our silver-haired saints, aren't they? And if there's anybody here who had an opportunity to complain about what had happened in his life, it, it could have been Caleb. I mean, think about it. Who was one of the only two people who didn't rebel from Yahweh 45 years earlier? Caleb and Joshua. And yet Caleb and his family had to endure all the same judgment that the rest of the nation of Israel had to endure. 40 years of wandering in circles, 40 years of living with monotony, 40 years of feeling stuck with broken and frustrated dreams. You do that for a few decades and it, it's the recipe to make you a bitter old person. But do you see that in Caleb? I don't. 
No, there's something there that he sees, not just circumstances of his life. He sees Yahweh. I wonder if he lived in a culture like we live in where we say stuff happens. Caleb didn't believe that. He said Yahweh happens. And his providence moves the happenings towards his will. Your vision of God will keep you from the common syndromes that sometimes occur with old age. Syndromes like AOM, angry old man syndrome. Syndromes like BOW, bitter old woman syndrome. You know, I don't wanna finish life and be known as a guy who was diagnosed with GMS. Grumpy man syndrome. I don't want to be diagnosed as someone who's an SOM, selfish old man, or COM, complacent old man. Uh-uh. And by the way, those diagnoses don't just happen to us the way physical ailments happen to us. Those occur because we kept the heart's direction heading in that destination for far too long. A heart bent on self heart bent away from Jesus and bent away from the good of others will lead us to the kind of syndromes that, that we don't want to have as we finish life. I was talking to Abel Schaefer this Tuesday morning, and he made a comment about something his father told him once that stuck with him. I've grabbed onto it too. Abel's dad said that life is lived in thirds, that the first third of life Everyone battles a foolish heart. The second third of life, people battle a divided heart. I've seen both of those in the seasons I've walked through. But the third third of life, people battle a hard heart. Well, listen, a foolish heart, a divided heart, a hard heart, that's the opposite of a whole heart oriented to God and his purposes around us. Caleb saw the past and it gave him vision for the present. But he also saw, look at verse 10. He saw the present. And now, and now, that's the present. Behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Hey, breathe in for me. If you were able to do that, obviously he's kept you alive too. Let's keep reading. And now behold, I am this day, 85 years old, and I'm still as strong today as I was on the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then. I don't know how he could have said that. For war and for going and coming. So now, so now, this is present, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim, remember the giants? They were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord has said. Don't you see what he's saying? Look, I'm still alive. And look, I'm 85. And look, that hard battle that we all shrank back from 45 years ago, it's still there with fortified cities and giants. So if you're making assignments, Josh, give me that one. 
Now, we are either reading a level of bravado and foolishness, but I don't think that can be the case because we've already read that Caleb was a wholehearted man and you cannot be wholehearted without walking humbly with God. Or we are looking at a person who still wants to be on God's original mission for his life. He knows that 45 years earlier, that Israel's great shame was that they blew their defining moment, didn't believe God, turned back, and missed out on what God wanted to do in their lives. And he looks at Joshua and says, if by the goodness of God you would give me an opportunity to see God glorified in that hard place again, it would be my privilege to reclaim that defining moment for King Yahweh and Yahweh only. I think he still has an appetite for God's glory in his life, even though he's 85 years old. Caleb knows there's no guarantee, does he? That's why he says another translation in the NIV says, perhaps the Lord will give me victory. There's no guarantees. He knows he can die on that battlefield possibly, but it doesn't matter. He's walking by faith in the promise of God. And don't you want to finish that way too? Is there not a man or woman here that doesn't want to finish fulfilling God's assignment in every season of life? I think I've learned that best from the wisest person I know. And that's my wife, Lisa. My adult children will tell you, they've heard her say a hundred times at minimum, possibly pushing into the thousands, that life has different seasons. And every season has an assignment. And the secret to life is to know your season and to fulfill your assignment. And she's right. Our assignment in the early years when all of our kids were little and there was four of them this in six years, we just felt like it was to keep everyone fed and somehow to keep our minds from being scrambled. And now we're in a, you know, a different season of life where we care for aging parents and others around us. And you know what? We think it's, the goal is just to keep our minds from being scrambled. And in between, it was the same. No, every season will have its challenges. The question is, what is the assignment of God in the season he has put you now? Lisa and I are in the last chapter of active career and active parenting. For 35 years, we've had the joy of doing those together. We're now in the later part of our 50s. And do you know what the temptation we feel? And it's palpable. I'm telling you, it's so constant. It's the temptation to coast. Coast now in preparation for the next season, which is disengage and check out. Because after all, I've been baptized in the same American dream you've been baptized in. And it's a dream that says life's in three stages. It says work all you can, can all you get, and then go sit on your can. And that must be the assignment for later years, right? Hey, for those of you who are in your 50s and 60s, you tend to have millennial children like we do. Have you ever noticed, I'm the last year of the baby boomers, by the way. Have you ever noticed how much we baby boomers crank about our millennial kids and the millennial generation? They must be sick of it. 
I think the reason we complain or critique them so much is because, well, we're the pot talking to the kettle. Have you noticed how similar we boomers are to our millennial kids? We both think that the good life happens when we can check out, travel, go sightseeing, and take selfies. But what if it's just another season with a different kind of assignment? See, I think that the good life is fulfilling your assignment at the season God has you now. So if your season now is the younger or middle-aged years, you pick the number. I've just noticed as I grow older that middle age is a lot larger number. Every decade I get older, people are saying, you know, I'm 64 and I'm just hitting middle age. Really, people don't live to be 128 very often. But if you're at that younger or middle-aged season, just know that your current direction of heart matters. That your current direction will end up being your destination. So if you're self-bent, if selfish ambition or self-protection or self-promotion is, is your heart's direction, you will become a, an 85-year-old person who does not have the spirit of Caleb. You won't take a hill country because you won't want to take a hill country. Those of, that you love and admire who are older will tell you Selfish does not get e selfishness does not get easier to battle when you're older. You have to battle it at every season of life. But how about for those of us who are middle-aged and older? You pick the year. We have to reject the culture's vision of how we're supposed to use our later years. And we live in a culture who's been selling us what that vision is. You know it. You've seen the TV ads. You know that it always includes checking out and disengaging traveling as much as you can, but with your spouse and don't forget your bathtubs, right? We've seen the ads. We know that somehow that's the vision of the good life. I think the best part of being in fellowship for me and for Lisa has been from day one when we arrived 16 years ago, God gave us the kind gift of putting us in community with men and women who are older than us. And I watched a Don and a Ray or a Jerry and a Sue or a Paul and an Ann. I've watched a Shirley. I've watched a Travis. I've watched them live vibrantly with more joy and contentment. That's the one thing I've noticed. Those who are still on assignment with God just happen to be happier and more content. And it's infected us with a vision for our own season at the next step. So how did Caleb do it? Well, he... He did look to the past and he saw God and his promises and providence. But he also looked at his present and he said, I'm still breathing, so I must be on assignment. But he also looked to the future. I want you to look at an odd scene in chapter 15 of Joshua. And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak. By the way, that was his hardest hill country battle. Remember the giants? Remember the fortified cities? He took it. And then he went up from there against the inhabitants of Debir. Now the name of Debir formerly was kiriath -Sefer. And Caleb said, whoever strikes kiriath -Sefer and captures it, to him will I give Aksa, my daughter, his wife. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it. And he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as his wife. 
And this is an odd scene to me. Because Caleb has finished the hardest, highest, hilliest battle. But now in this last easier battle, he seems to say, whew, this fighting thing, that's kind of a young man's game. What was I thinking? I must need to go lie down. But that doesn't sound like the spirit of Caleb we've seen. So what's happening? Why does he go to his clan and look at a younger man and say, I need someone to lead us into the final battle. And all I can do is give you my sanctified imagination. I think he was seeing a future generation and he was wanting to pass the torch of spiritual leadership while he was still alive. And he believed that his purpose on earth wasn't just about himself. In fact, he wasn't consumed with having a legacy. He wanted God to have a legacy through him. And so now he chooses to turn to somebody who's younger in the clan and say, whoever will lead, you can have my daughter's hand in marriage. I'm calling out leadership in you, younger generation, he says. And his nephew, Othniel, steps up and says, I'll do it, uncle. Othniel captures the city. And then you don't see Othniel's name come up again in the Bible until the next book of the Bible, Judges. Judges is a period after the land has been settled where Israel had turned into a mess. She had turned back to idolatry. The enemies had overrun her land. The people were crying out with oppression. And God raises up a judge to deliver that people and lead them in the way of righteousness. And the first judge's name is an old man, and his name is Othniel. Othniel, in his later season of life, taking the hardest hill country battle himself, where did he get that vision of how to finish well? You know where. Uncle Caleb. He had campfire time with him in the wilderness. He fought alongside him for five years of active battle, and he then took the torch from Caleb while Caleb was still alive. And men and women, you too, and I don't care what age you are, if you're in your 20s or 30s, you have people younger than you who you can invite on the journey with Jesus with you. What do you think our high school cell groups and junior high cell groups are made up of? Young men and women leading another generation to a journey with God that is the good life. And if you're in middle age, you can do the same. And if God has given you more years, let's just pick 50 and above, 60 for sure and above, you are blessed more than any of the other adults in the room because you now have clout. Your gray hair or no hair, it's clout. You have life experience to say, this is what I've done in the halls of fame and in the halls of shame in my life. Lead the next generation like Caleb led. And so we see that you never finish better than the way you lived. So maybe it's about aging well, not just finishing well. Will Blanchard is a, one of our staff members who works with the training center. His hobby is running ultra marathons. That's 100-mile races. You decide if you're going to trust the training center leadership or not. 
I asked Will, how do you finish a 100-mile race? He said, you have to obey the runner's principle. The runner's principle is that the way you run the first half of the race determines how well you run the second half. At whatever age you are, could you look back and age well? Could you age well and see the promises of God? Could you look at your present assignment? Could you age well by seeing that wherever you are at this age right now, you are on assignment from God? And could you look forward enough to see a future generation you can invite with you? If you can and will, only do so if you can handle more happiness and contentment because the people you see do it will live that way far more than anyone else. You'll see that in Dick and Connie Nervig's story. The Nervigs, uh, Dick serves as an elder, but I actually knew Dick and Connie when we worked together in another city working in leadership team of a nonprofit. And then 15 years later, our, we crossed paths here at Fellowship Bible Church. He serves as an elder. Together as a team, they lead community groups, but as individuals, they disciple men and women. And then they call those group of people to come together and to serve their city around them. Look at how their vision is strong as they age well. When we moved here um, 11 years ago, we were embarking on a new season of life, retirement or redeployment, as Dick loves to call it. And I just remember thinking at that time, this is a brand new start for me. And God, what do you have in mind for me now? And I had a mentor years ago that said, a vision is a clear mental picture of a preferred future imparted by God to a willing servant. This is a new season of life. We have all kinds of opportunities. What is that gonna look like for us? But in that vision, it says a willing, humble, obedient spirit. Um, and that, that means that uh, we have spent a lot of time discussing, praying, searching the scripture, talking to other people. God, that God has sovereignly provided for us to uh, come up with that vision for our lives at this time. In 1984, our second child, Matthew, uh, was born Down syndrome. And uh, almost at two years of age, he died after his second open heart surgery. That was an extremely painful, difficult time. And we were confused by that. But God has chosen to use that difficult, extremely painful time in our eyes, lives to open up so many doors of ministry that we couldn't possibly imagine. Certainly through our Matthew life, um, God has given us a ministry and a heart for those who are hurting and grieving and have gone through loss and so many opportunities that I know I would not have had had we not had that experience of losing Matthew. I just think God uses all of the experiences in our lives. He always says, there are no wasted experiences in God's economy. He uses them all and there's a purpose and he will live out his purpose and plan through our lives and our stories if we're willing to share them. 
there's a thread of discipleship that just flows through uh, what I, I feel like God has uh, sovereignly equipped me to be involved with. And uh, certainly the uh, discipleship of our uh, adult kids and grandkids, that's an ongoing process. And with that in mind, I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that as a, as a former educator, the power of modeling and my grandkids, I mean, they are watching all the time. In, in the back of my mind, I have this little fear. I want to make sure that I'm expressing the authentic Christ to them. And I'm not this uh, grumpy old grandfather that looks like they've had a transfusion from a dill pickle. <laughs> I would tell you in the last four, 40 years, there's been a real passion and a desire uh, to truly understand what it means to live and finish well from God's perspective. But bigger than that, to lock arms with people, men and women of our season of life, study the scripture and what is our God-ordained rule for this season. I have three passions, uh, life and ministry with Dick, um, our adult children and grandchildren, and ministry with other women at this point in my life. Availability is the word I would use to encourage our season of life. And I think the culture really screams that at us. This is the time for you to live for you. And I wanna say for myself, the biggest joy and fulfillment I've ever had in my life is knowing that I'm living in God's will, serving Him, doing what I can to encourage other people. And I don't do it perfectly, and I know I probably missed opportunities that God had placed before me, but I think we have to have that availability and that mindset to think about how, how am I gonna allow God to use my life now? Don't allow yourself to drift away from all of the values that we have by being in community. The truth, the accountability, the relationships are critically important at every season of life. And the other one, living with intentionality. At Fellowship here, we talk about the priorities. These are the things that are closest to God's heart. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love others and make disciples. That's the essence of the good life. Connie and I, we look at each other, we are living the dream now. And it's not because that we're that special or that we're that talented, but God is just blessing our socks off. And then uh, to my other boomer and sages, don't allow yourself to live a retirement that's focused on self, that's focused on worldly value. Focus what I would like to refer to, and it's a reminder to me to live redeployed. There's a spiritual battle mentality to that. Stay in the battle, stay focused. Our kids need us, our grandkids need us, our church needs us. There are so many, so many opportunities for us to serve. Don't allow the enemy of our soul to tell us that you have nothing to offer, that you're being put out to pasture. I pray that we could lock arms together, study the scripture, know what it means to live and finish well, that God would continue to raise up this army of boomers and sages. One author talks about the silver tsunami forging ahead, leading the charge in a God's mission in his heart for generational discipleship. It is so encouraging to see a life well lived and to be challenged 
to fight the good fight, to finish the race well. And so we're gonna close this morning by singing a familiar hymn, a hymn of surrender, that God, would you take my life, my will, would you use it for your glory? Would you stand and sing with us? Take my life and let it be our prayer. God, that as we prayed earlier, we sing that the battle belongs to you. And that as we walk this road of this life, we look to you for vision and wisdom. When we live lives of devotion, we seek you and nothing else. So we live lives of surrender. Would you take our will? Would you mold us into the image of Christ? we know that is what is best for us. It brings you glory and it shows this world what it means to truly live. So teach us to walk by your spirit. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us, fellowship. Our prayer room is open if you need prayer this morning. Go in peace this week.